We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Welcome to Nightlight, our home movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. We are a group of nice with as we love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So with the lights, sit back, and let the dark sit envelope you. If you like that and want extra horror content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's night with a K. Now, y'all might be wondering why I did this a tad bit different this time around. I mean, you might not be if you read the name of the episode, but you might be wondering a little bit because I have an extremely special guest onto this show. I know a lot of you have all probably know how much this means to me, how special this is to me, but I have none other than Mike Flanagan joining me today. Hello, good sir. How are you? Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. Oh, I'm grateful to have you. <laughs> and I'm doing very well, especially especially now that you're hanging out with me and we get to talk about horror and talk about your new show, The Midnight Club, as well, which... Man, first and foremost, congratulations. Absolutely phenomenal work, <laughs> which oh, thank we'll you. talk a little bit more about for sure. Um, but yeah, I just kind of want to start for a little bit from the beginning a little bit. I know you've answered this question many of times before, but for my listeners, I just want to um, know, like, what kind of got you into horror to begin with? Like, what I know you grew up in like kind of a Catholic household and things like that. And horror just kind of came there uh, as well. So what, what got you into it? Uh, you know, it's I, I have kind of a winding road to get to horror in my childhood because I was I was a very scared kid. I, I was sure. I was scared of everything, and I was the kid at, at like the sleepover who would pretend to be sick if they were going to watch a horror movie so I could go home. Um, <laughs> if I, I was in the Boy Scouts, so I would go off and like do. Uh, you know, you, you go camping and we would do stories around the campfire. And if a story freaked me out, I'd pretend to be sick so that my parents would come get me and I could go home and I didn't have to be scared anymore. <laughs> so I was, I was just a really like kind of perpetually terrified child. And, sure. um, I got, you know, I, I got very insecure about it because my friends were watching all sorts of cool stuff and they were all enjoying it. And I remember when, when Thriller, broke. I remember when, when Thriller debuted and all of my friends are watching it over and over and over again. And it was the coolest thing, but it scared the shit out of me. And Fair. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I was like watching it from behind the couch and I was like, you know, I, I want to be able to like keep up with everybody and I have to crack this somehow. So I, yeah. I figured if I read scary books and scary stories, it would be better. Um, and I could get braver because, you know, I could control the book. I could close the book. It was in my head. It would be worse uh, to be watching it on TV than, you know, my imagination. Right. And that turned out to be exactly wrong. And it was, <laughs> it, was, it was far more traumatic in my imagination than it was on the screen. But I started to realize that I was getting incrementally braver the more I kind of immersed myself in horror. 
And yeah. it was like exercise. It was like if I get through a scary scene or a scary chapter or a scary movie, sooner or later, I'd, I'd find that that courage kind of carried off into, into life. And then I couldn't get enough. Then, then it was like trying to consume as much of it as I could so that I could continue to kind of, you know, grow that muscle of, of just basic daily bravery. And right. yeah, and that, that turned into a, a lifelong love affair with the genre. That's amazing. That's really cool. I, I, I love hearing everyone's different stories. Uh, we had David Bruckner on last time and we asked him about this, this same question. And it's something so amazing to hear how everyone kind of got started. And I've, I'm in some ways a very, uh, when I was a child, I was a very scared kid as well. And I also got sick a lot. So I would, I would get sick all the time as a kid and I would have nothing to do. And my brother, who's seven years older than me, would want to watch Tales from the Crypt and all this <laughs> stuff. And I was just like, like, dude, like, you know, I'm bedridden. You're doing this on purpose. Like, <laughs> like what are you, what, why are you doing this to me? So it's, it's, it's fascinating to even hear that you wanted to overcome it because in some ways I was the same where I got to a point where I pretty much got addicted to it, where I was like, Oh my God, like I can't get enough of this. And it, turned into this obviously this major fascination to the point where i made a slight career out of it but it's <laughs> incredible to kind of see how you've transitioned certain things and honestly have made some of the scariest shit i've ever seen <laughs> well, i i wonder if if we have like the same experience here because do you find that like as it got tougher and tougher to scare you right? Like as you got just more oh, yeah. kind of desensitized to everything and you, you kind of started Absolutely. to see the ones and the zeros of the matrix and just kind of being of like, <laughs> oh yeah, this isn't, this isn't scary anymore. Like, did you hit that point where when something does scare you, you get like really high, like, like really excited oh about God. it? Yeah. Yes, it, like it's, it's such an electric feeling. Yeah. <laughs> like it feels <laughs> so good. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny you say that. Um, Midnight Mass episode one, when they are on the beach and it's the cats on the separate island that they go to uh, right off Crockett Island. And that scene, because my thing is glowing eyes. And to me, you're, you're the <laughs> yeah, my, fucking me too. of glowing yeah. eyes. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, I love glowing eyes. And everyone who knows me, literally, if you have glowing eyes in it, it's like an automatic two points. Like, I don't care if the movie's bad. I don't care if it's good. Like, you automatically have two points in my book if you have glowing eyes. But mm -hmm. when I see the shimmers of all the cat's eyes. And then it's just that, that one set that's just a little bit more odd than all the other cats. I was like, this is going to be a fucking amazing show. <laughs> <laughs> and that was so early on in that episode that I was like, I already am very excited for the rest of what's going to happen in this season. <laughs> Aw, I love that. I, um, I think the glowing eyes thing... Like I can actually, I think I can trace that all the way back to where it started for me. Like really? there was a, there was a book by John Belair's called the house of the clock and its walls. And Eli Roth made a movie of this a couple yeah. of years ago. Um, I remember that. And it's a kid's, it's a kid's book, but it, it was spooky and there's a ghost in it and you only ever see, uh, he wore glasses and you don't see the ghost, but they describe that you saw the light reflecting off the glasses in the dark. And that was how you first encountered it. And there's a, there's a sketch in the book of just this kind of darkness with the, the two little points of light. 
And that for me kind of mixed with, uh, with, with the wolf and the never ending story. Uh, was just like <laughs> okay those are some great eyes and and i i i remember being just stock terrified of of those yeah. specific images as a kid and so whenever we're trying to make something scarier like whenever we're looking at at a ghost effect or something on a show my every time like to the point that they'll make fun of me in in post i'll be like have we what if we make the eyes glow or, or reflect and they're like <laughs> And they're like, really? No, again? Yeah, okay. Like yeah. All right. We'll do it. We'll do that again. We, we've programmed a shortcut. On, it's F11 gives you the, the eye glow at this point. But I yeah. I love it. Yes. That's amazing. I, I think for me, where it all came from was uh, The House on Haunted Hill, 1999 specifically, where <laughs> we see Tay Diggs. Just that moment. They only use it once. They don't use it again in that whole movie. And it's just when he is slightly possessed or it's a ghost like that's um refracting him and he you he stares back at you i'm just like that pierces into my soul yeah ever since then ever since then i i absolutely love it and even what you did with the true knots inside of dr sleep like oh my god which Admittedly, we are going to probably gush over you making Doctor Sleep. I'm just, <laughs> just going to say that now. But oh, thank you. Um, take it's it's my favorite movie. Um, like, not even kidding. It seriously is my favorite movie, and I I think because I I rank your work all the time <laughs> in my head, <laughs> and it's you may be surprised of this, but it, it, for me, it goes Doctor Sleep, Absentia, because Absentia was my very first. Um, oh wow. Yeah. My very first introduction to you, which uh, my friend was a um, backer on Kickstarter and we watched it in college. And I was just like, holy shit, like this, this feels like, like an unseen YouTube movie. But at the same time, <laughs> I, I, I fucking love it. Like what, what, like what, like what is it about this movie? And I've always been attracted to that movie. Um, last oh. year I, I actually did something for Fangoria where I just sang praises about that movie. Um, so. Oh, that's you. awesome. What, what is your, what is your friend's name? Who is, who is the Kickstarter backer? Daryl. <laughs> Daryl. Thank you from all of us at Absentia all those years ago. <laughs> wow. Um, I, that's so awesome. Look, I, a lot of people have never heard of that movie. And, and so thanks for, thanks for keeping it alive. It's, it's, uh, of course, you know, we made that for nothing and it yeah. started everything. So like, it, it's really, it's special to me, but a lot of people have never, have still never seen it. So I'm, I'm glad. To hear yeah. That. It's, Absolutely phenomenal, and I I hope more people do see it. So hey, it's free on Tubi right now, everybody. So <laughs> by all means, go watch Absentia right now. Um, I I am waiting for that to be re released because I'm so bummed that I don't have a physical copy of that. <laughs> I I bought up all, like there were there were five or six region free Blu-rays on eBay oh. a couple of years ago. I bought them all. <laughs> So oh, shit. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you one. I, I, cause I'm obsessed with physical media and yeah. I was always like really upset that there was no U S release on Blu-ray. They just did a DVD. And, right. um, 
the UK uh, came out. It was it was a beautiful set. It's got a documentary on there, like about the making Holy of it. Holy shit! And <laughs> I just I grabbed up every copy I could find. Uh, I was like, well, I'm going to get one, but what if that one is defective? Well, then I'll get two. Right. But what if one gets scratched? Okay, well then I'll have three. But what if I want to lend one? Okay, I'm going to need four. And like there were only five or six of them on there, but oh I, I bought them all. So I'll I'll make sure you get one. There, oh, it's a really God. nice little set. Yeah, Mike. Thank you so much. That honestly, that would be a dream come true. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh my God. Seriously. Wow. Um, but switching gears a little bit to your your most recent work, um, the Midnight Club. Um, now, obviously, I want to make sure this episode is going to release the day of of uh, the Midnight Club. But okay. I do want to make sure that folks have a chance to experience it just how I got to experience it completely spoiler free. So as much as you can share. Um, but what um, specifically, uh, let me actually get my my notes up for this uh, particular question. Um, but without giving too much away, like how would you say that approach was for approaching to adapt a Christopher Pike story, let along a Christopher Pike story specifically for television? Uh, this yeah. story is not that long. No, yeah. no, you know, the, the book is really, the book, the book is certainly not in and of itself going to, going to get you through a, a season of TV. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so expanding it was always, you know, the only way we could do it. But, you know, I was such a Pike fanatic as a teenager in the nineties. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of before, it was before Harry Potter. It was before kind of the, this explosion in, in the YA fiction world. Um, we're really like the only game in town was, you know, it was R.L. Stein until you hit like fifth grade. And then it was Christopher right. Pike. And then it was Stephen King. It was like that, right. that was the way you went. Um, and so I've, I've always wanted to do Pike. I, I, uh, I tried in college. I, I wrote a script for the Midnight Club as a movie. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I was, I was going to raise money, shoot it on mini DV on my college campus. I reached out to the publisher of, of the book and said, I'm a, I'm a, I want to be a filmmaker. I've written this script. I think I can raise money to make this very little movie of the midnight club. And they wrote me back a cease and desist letter. Oh, um, and they said, they said, you do not have, you did not have the right to adapt this into a screenplay. You need to destroy that script. Oh um, no. Yeah. And I did. I did. Shit. Uh, yeah. I, not, I, not, no trace at all. No trace at all of that Holy script. And, I, and today I really wish I still had it, but um, I still, I could find the business plan. I'd drawn together this big like investor package yeah. to try to get people to, to donate money to it. And um, I have that, uh, awesome. but I, it was, it's really cool. I got to talk to Pike when I first reached out and I was like, you, you may never have been aware of this at all. But this is this will be the second time I've tried to adapt the Midnight Club, and this time, <laughs> this time I'm I'm determined to have the legal right to do so. So, um, so, so yeah, it, it was uh, it was this really cool chance to not only do the Midnight Club, but to pull in other Pike books that I loved, and and yeah. to try to mix them all together the way we did with Bly Manor, like try to make it more of a a celebration of of an author than one story. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, it required, you know, some, some interesting kind of narrative acrobatics to make the stories fit the characters who were telling them. And we had to expand a lot, but it was something Pike was really excited about and, and supportive of. And 
what I like about it is like, hey, they haven't adapted Christopher Pike for whatever reason over the years. Yeah. And now you tune into the show, you can watch eight of his books go by. So, <laughs> <laughs> and if, if they give us another season, maybe we'll do, you know, 10 next time. Like I, he has 80 books. So yeah. we could, we could drag this out for a couple of years. You could really drag yeah. it out. And, and honestly, yeah. like the, the stories are so weaved beautifully. And that's, that's one thing that I really enjoyed about this series is the fact that not only do you experience um sort such this tall tale but it was it, it was just so much to go off of it it was just so much growth out of beyond these characters and it the thing that you and your team did so well was y'all did something to where you'd made us forget you made us forget that these are dying kids and that blew my mind when like I would get to certain moments in the story and I'm just like, oh, that's right. They're sick. And I'm right. like, fuck, like these kids aren't going to make it out the end of this. And like that in the back of your mind the whole time as they tell these stories. And it, it's 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 heartbreaking, honestly. Like it, it's really heartbreaking. <laughs> it's, it's sad. It's um it's funny. It was one of the stranger notes I've ever gotten in my life about halfway yeah. through the writer's room where, where, you know, some of the executives at Netflix were weighing in and they're like, well, we have one kind of overarching thought, which is, uh, it's quite sad. And I was like, well, yeah, and then they were like, have you considered a version where, where the kids aren't dying? And I was like, well then well, it's kind of not about crazy. anything anymore. Yeah. Like then they're just hanging out, you know, like, right. At that point, then, it's, it's are you yeah. afraid of the dark? <laughs> it's are you afraid of the dark? It's literally are you afraid of the dark? Yeah. Um, and I was like, so no, I, I the entire heart of, of, of the novel, The Midnight Club, is about these kids coming to terms with how the, with, with how they're going to die. Yeah. And I loved that, you know, they're, they're asked to be uh, braver than, than I certainly ever have been asked to be in my life. And, you know, I'm in my right. mid-40s. You know, it, I, I, um, yeah, so it, it, you're right though. It is, it is something that's always kind of looming over it, like a shadow and, and it, you do kind of have to, we had it in the room too with the writers. We had to kind of somberly remind ourselves here and there that it's like, you know, all of these arcs have a, have a clear ending. Right. Um, it's just about when and how that we're going to get yeah. there. But then, I mean, Shit, that's true of all of us, isn't it? It's just exactly everyone has an expiration yeah. date at some point, and yeah. and that's that was one of the beauties that uh, the doctor said in that in that show um, is it's beyond all of that. Like shit, everyone's dying. Like yeah. at the end of the day, and um, Ilanka, like wow, I it just how how much gusto she had, and she reminded me a lot of um, Abra. Um, and Dr. Sleep <laughs> and just how Abra Stone was just so like gusto and ready to go. And it's just like, nope, I'm going to be the one that stops these people. Like we need to stop them. We need to go further. We need to we, like, no, we need to go further And that. And it felt like that's how she was. Um, and I don't want to give anything away because that is technically not a part of trailers and things like that. So I'm just going to leave it at that. But she just has gusto. <laughs> yes, she does. She's uh she she has a, a tremendous will, and yeah. um, and she's she's really fun to write. I think Iman Benson, uh, who who plays Alanka, really 
carried a lot of the strength into into those scenes herself. So it's it's yeah. it was great to watch her work. Yeah. Kudos to Iman Vincent because wow, it was absolutely incredible seeing her work. All of them, all of them was just amazing just to to watch them um and sh- shout out to my boy amesh oh my god <laughs> oh my god my heart <laughs> he's but, uh, he's the one i i identified with the most actually like writing i was like <laughs> if i was in this in this group i would be the amesh of the group like you'd meet me you'd meet me at a pinball machine like yes. quoting doctor who like that's oh just where god. i'd start you know i um, i loved yeah. him oh and, and oh my gosh i i i was trying to go in as blind as possible because I knew I was going to be covering it for a review. And um, I decided to stop looking up the cast members. And I actually, it, it broke my heart to um, mute the Midnight Club um, for a bit and um, on Twitter because I was trying my best to stop seeing updates because I wanted to be even more surprised at who was going to be in this show. Um, right. So, I, I didn't know Rahu Cooley was going to be in the show. And I was I was <laughs> yeah. so over the moon. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> yes. So I was very, very stoked. But uh, one of the things that I did want to bring up as well is that you do such a fantastic job by creating such a diverse cast. And like in uh, The Midnight Club alone, I, I want to say there was four or five black characters um, and there was about a total of seven, I think, people of color um, that were main characters in this show. And that alone felt so good. It felt great just to see constant representation on screen. And, you know, it was it's funny that I say this, but it it was the world in the show the whole world in the show, like we had hatred, we had love, we had caring, we had um, jealousy, like every ounce of the world was in this show. And that made the show feel even more breathable and real. And kudos to you and your team for just honestly, absolutely fucking nailing it. (laughs) Oh, I'm thrilled to hear that. That's you know, that's something that's very important to us as a company and, you know, something that I I want to get better and better at with every project, you know? Um, So I'm, I'm, I also just had the, I had the incredible, uh, incredible fortune of working with this incredible group of cast. Like these actors were just fucking great. And so, so yeah, it's, I'm, but I, I, I'm grateful for that. And, and I hope uh, we're, we're uh, making efforts in that way with, uh, with House of Usher too. A lot of in fact a lot of the actors from this are carrying over to that. So Oh yes. Oh yeah. I'm so I'm so excited for the House of Usher as well. Oh my gosh. Um it was funny. My wife was uh I was like, oh yeah, Mike Flanagan's coming out with two projects coming out with the Midnight Club and he's coming out with the House of Usher. She's like, what's the House of Usher about? It's like it's, it's a documentary about Usher. She was like, really? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> so, that is one of my favorite memes though, because like we cannot make a single announcement on Twitter without there being some kind of awesome Usher meme. That comes with it. Um, it has to be. There was a big picture of Usher on my director's binder when they put it together and <laughs> prep. Um, like it's really, it's really kind of fantastic. But look, that show is actually, I'm, I'm at the Avid right now in oh, in post editing, oh. and um, I just hit send on episode seven. We just delivered it to Netflix about five minutes before I got in line with you. Oh my um, god! And Congrats. So it's, Thank you. It's it's coming together very well. I love it. It is like it is so crazy that show and so like 
bonkers fun and bloody and insane and just like over the top on everything. I feel like way too excited. (laughs) It's, it's, it's such a fucking blast. And, and like, it's funny to me because midnight club to me came out like it's a gentle show. It's, it's a show that's, it's earnest and it's soft and it's, it's, you know, it's delicate. Yeah. Um, and I think the people, like if we get these younger fans who come in, for this YA show and, and kind of fall for it and are like, Oh wait, you know, Ruth Codd and, and Sorian Sapkota and Igby Rigney are all over in house of Usher. We should go over. They're going to be traumatized. And like, it's I'm really fantastic. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> it's going to completely destroy them. And, and I'm really kind of, I'm looking forward to that. Like I'm really kind of excited about it. So um, it's, it's been real fun to do something that's just like flooring it. And, and yeah. um uh, as as fun as it was to kind of be in in the midnight club world, it was really lovely too to just like do some heavy metal. Like it, it was really oh, fun. So God, I yeah. cannot wait! Oh my God, I it's one of my most anticipated shows, and I'm so upset that I have to wait a whole year. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you one thing that I I do want to mention as well or ask um, is that you deal with heavy subjects a lot in most of your work. And within these heavy subjects, I mean, the first time I really started picking up on it, because uh, when Absentia came out and Oculus and things like that, I was in college and co- leaving out of college around these times. So like, I didn't really, I took them as just a horror film. And I didn't really like, grasp those messages and those deep connotations because Absentia is fucking deep, like drug addiction and, and like loss and grief, like, Absinthe is deep, but I didn't pick up on those types of things um, right away. So when you're dealing with these heavy subjects, like, what am I trying to ask? How are you, how are you typically going about it? Like, do you, do you clear your mind? How do you come out of it is, is typically what I guess I'm trying to ask. How do you come out of the heavy subjects that you write and you portray on screen? You know, that, that's interesting. I don't think anyone's ever asked me this before, but it's, it's, um, it's kind of an exorcism. So a lot of those heavy things, I, unfortunately, I, I give them to you. <laughs> and then, and then I'm free. You know, like it's really, um, it's, it's a, it's a very interesting transference because like, you know, well, well, there are some that, that, that will always be there, right? Like, um, before I even knew I was doing it. I was always using work to deal with um, addiction, right? right. Like I've been sober now for four years and I've been, thank you. I've been writing about it for 12 years. And um, even before I really kind of picked up the rope myself and was like, oh no, I'm really, I'm working through something here. Um, You know, with a lot of the other things Midnight Mass was probably the the project that had the most kind of weight pushed into it uh, from a, uh, on a personal level, where it right. was like it was about my alcoholism, it was about my my upbringing, my childhood, my relationship with religion, what I think the nature of reality is, what I think happens when we die, yeah. you know. It had it had all that heavy stuff, and and you're right. You live in it for a long time, 
and in well, writing especially and then on set because then you're trying to kind of share it with the cast and they want to live in it like they they all want to get into that into that pool with you yeah. um and then something very magical happens when it's when the show is done and i i start to feel it when i'm watching final sound mixes mm-hmm. um where i i feel the the umbilical break and and i just feel it drift away and um i forget yeah. so much of of it like i um I haven't looked, and I don't tend to look at, I don't go back. I don't tend to look at them again. And um, I remember when it was like a year later after Hill House came out, they had me do a commentary for the Blu-ray on a couple episodes. And watching them, I was shocked by how much I didn't remember about the process. And like trying to come up with this commentary track and being like, I don't I don't remember. <laughs> like I've, I've, <laughs> this, this whole experience is, is gone. It, it, you know, it's already gone. And, and, um, so yeah, there's a lot of, there, there are a lot of pieces about mortality and trauma and, and for me about alcoholism that, that never go away project to project and always kind of pop up, you know, on this one, there were places that we went about what it would mean to, to wrestle with a terminal prognosis, you know, young, what it would mean if this happened to one of my children, right. um, how I would, how I would try to, to handle that situation as a parent. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of places we would go and we, me and the other writers and the cast, and we'd, we'd kind of come together on them and then we'd, we'd come up with what we wanted to say. Yeah. And, and I mean, I had Heather Langenkamp was, was a huge part of this process of, of, the scripts changed when Heather got cast because she was going through and pouring a lot of her experiences into it. And, and we would talk together about what Stanton would say and what the show needs to say and what we need to show. And, and then we would kind of put it all out there. We'd shoot it. And then the, the days move so fast, you just move on. Yeah, right. And it just kind of, it kind of evaporates. It's um, so, yeah. And then we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Then I talked to viewers... You know, I got some of the the most amazing notes when when Midnight Mass came out, especially from people um, who had miscarried after the fourth episode wow. came out, oh, and uh, were sharing their stories and talking about you know what what that meant to them. And and I've been through that a few times in my life. Yeah. Everything I thought about it was put into the show, and I had I had already kind of put it pushed it back down and, and to read their experiences, it actually reminded me, it's like, oh yes, these heavy emotional experiences that I had three years ago working on this, they're having, watching it, you know, and it's, and it's all growing out of their own completely unique experience. And, and I forget that. I, I, I forget it every time. And um, it, it's always interesting to me to hear what is connecting with people and, and, where it's taking them. And I, 
I saw someone the other day who got in touch and asked me to handwrite um, Aaron's monologue at the end of Midnight Mass because they wanted to get it tattooed on them. Oh, man. And I'm like, God, that's... Well, first of all, I mean, talk about pressure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I want to take responsibility for that, but... um, And I've got terrible, like... I've got awful, like, you know, pharmacist handwriting. It It just looks like... It, it looks like I tried to do it with a sword. You know, it's just it's just random slashes. Um, so it's like you, you really don't want this, but it it always kind of knocks me back and 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 makes me have to kind of realize that they they say it's like it doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to the viewers when you when you put something out there. But that's so true, and and right. I'm always a little surprised to confront the emotional realities other people are having with some of this stuff. And, and it, it, it's a beautiful thing. It, it's a humbling thing. And it's a really, it's one of the most gratifying things about what I do, but it, 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 it always surprises me. It, it's not something I'm ever really quite ready for. Sorry. That was a very rambly answer. No, that, yeah. that was beautiful. Like, I, I mean, you know, I, it was something I've always thought about because it, it does feel very, very personable. And, um, and if it almost feels like I, like, I shouldn't be watching this. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm reading someone's diary and, um, in Midnight Mass, you kind of are. Yeah. That one very much, but, but it's like, but that's why I want it. I had to do that. And, right. And, yeah. It, it's your way of yeah. expelling that. Yeah. That's or, or, or looking at it. Like there was stuff right. I had no idea to you know, to what extent both alcoholism and sobriety were impacting me as a person and changing me as a person until I could sit back and watch Riley and Father Paul having those conversations, which are really just internal debates that I'd had, you know, wow. a decade ago. And and so I, I learn about myself doing this too. And and um and that was that was one for whatever reason I, I never felt embarrassed to kind of be putting it out there. Um, there are other shows that, that that isn't the case where it's very much like I don't want to. This isn't one where I want to put something personal on the table. This is one where I just want to, you know, I want to scare people or I want to make them laugh or, or right. something. But yeah, you never you never can tell until it's kind of like mostly over. Sure. And then it's like, oh crap! No, I really, I really, uh, <laughs> I, I really, I really use this whole show as an extended therapy session. You know, I, I didn't, I don't, I didn't know that till after the fact. But yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a damn beautiful job, and honestly, one of your best pieces of work for sure. And I, I absolutely very much enjoy it. Now, uh, switching gears a little bit, uh, for those who are curious as to how Mike and I kind of met online. Um, I posted a very embarrassing post that I was just like, well, I can't, I can't undelete, I can't delete it now. Like it just has to say, <laughs> but I posted that, uh, the midnight club was a slasher <laughs> and I was like, oh wait, that's not a slasher. Got it. <laughs> Mike messaged me, uh, he messaged me, DM me and he was like, Hey, like, uh, just let you know, like I'm, I'm flattered, but it's not a slasher. I'm although you mentioned something that you would be keen on making one again. I would. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. Um, is, is that something that you would uh, want to have in the pipelines or. Um, I, I, I don't have one right now. I, I've flirted with a couple ideas over the last year 
of something sure. in the feature space that could be fun. Um, but I haven't done slasher really since Hush, and right. and I feel like I could do I could do for a while after that. I was like, I did my slasher movie. I I I think I did it. It took me a yeah. couple of years to be like, oh no, I could I have I have some fresh ideas for that. Right. Um, but yeah, and and I'm I'm not great at Twitter. I'm just really not. I, um, and, and I do that. I do that sometimes, you know, especially if it's like a, like a correction thing. And I apologize right. for that because that's not, that's not oh, cool no. to be like, please, to please be like, actually, actually, you know, like, <laughs> um, but I, this is, this is something that Trevor Macy tells me to stop doing, but I, I read everything and yeah. I'm constantly, especially when a new show's announced or, or like when a trailer breaks or something. I try to monitor how the reaction's going. And I, every time I'm like, and this isn't to engage, this isn't, you know, you're not going to say anything. You're just there to kind of observe how it's right. being received. This is a whole ecosystem that technically you have nothing to do with, you know, just, just observe. <laughs> and every time I, I can't shut up. You know, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll pop up and be like, well, actually, well, let me just, let me just say this and let me just, well, I, well no, actually before, you know, and it's really, um, or I'll read like a really like vicious tweet or a review yeah. or something and I'll be, be sad for like a week. <laughs> and then, yeah. like, and, and, and my wife will be like, you gotta stop. And she's yeah. like, you read like, she's like, do you, do you like, do you feel good about the positive reviews? And I was like, no, like those. <laughs> No, she's like, cause you can, you can read like 10 positive ones and you get one negative one and you, you dwell on it for like, yeah, for like it just days. just knocks you off. Yeah. I, I get so, I still get so swept up in social media and I have to, I have to stop. It's not yeah. good for me. Um, I feel ya. I feel but I also, yeah. I get to meet people that way too, which is really cool sometimes. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, like, I was, I was yeah. honestly surprised that you even remembered me and remember that we had something in the books a year ago. And, yeah. We, uh, we had a, I canceled an interview with you during midnight mass. Um, yeah. not because of you, but because my schedule was like quintuple booked. And, yeah. um, and yeah, and I felt bad about that. Because it, it was like, and I feel like it was not like a, a long distance cancel either. It was like, it was, it was imminent uh, <laughs> and, and like a day or two out. And I feel, I feel bad about that stuff because I don't, um, like I, if I agree to do an interview, I've right. agreed to do it. It's like, I, 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 I vet kind of what the requests are. I don't do a lot. I do less every time. Um, because, you know, I've just gotten older and I feel like I'm more boring. And, and it's <laughs> like, I, I, I want the work to speak for itself more and more, or I want the cast to speak. And, and, you know, I tend yeah. to, I answered, I answer a bunch of the, the questions for a couple of days and then I'm sick of hearing me. So I'm like, everybody must be. Um, but I do less and less and less, but I felt bad about that. And, and so I, I wanted to make sure we didn't miss that this time. But, yeah. um, well, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, I honestly like, thank you so much for remembering even. And, you know, I, I appreciate you being so uh, headstrong on getting this going as well. And I, I you know, thank you. Seriously. Thank no, you. Of course. Thank you. Um, so I, before we, before we conclude, um, I want to chat a little bit about Dr. Sleep. Uh, Cause yeah. this is going to be more so me gushing over Dr. Sleep, but I've written, um, essays about it I've done and that I've never published but <clears throat> I've done 
this uh, whole little ramification of this um, class that I taught at the uh, Cuyahoga County Library. I'm from San Francisco, but they they had me um, do that during uh, 2021, I believe. And when I did it, I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? They asked me to do something. And I kept thinking about Dr. Sleep, mainly Abra in Dr. Sleep. And I thought about the deconstruction of the black trope. Because not only did we have Abra, but we also had, um, uh, gosh, I want to say Dick Holleran, but obviously. Yeah, yeah, Dick Holleran. You're right. But yeah. yeah. Oh, Dick Holleran, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. But then we have Dick uh, as well coming back, you know, where as a black guy who sees him die on screen for no reason, in my opinion, it, 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 it crushed me. And I was like, oh man, like this movie was for me, it was almost perfect. And that was the only thing that stopped it for me. And when I thought about it, I was like, okay, Dr. Sleep. I, I saw an early viewing of Dr. Sleep. This was before I was really into the industry. Um, and I saw an early viewing of Dr. Sleep and I loved it so much that that weekend is when it was coming out. I watched it three other times in theaters that weekend. And then Dude, you're like weekend. you're like fifteen percent of our box office then. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> that's, that's a huge chunk of our of our opening weekend box office right there. So thank you so much. Yeah, that's awesome. The following weekend, I watched it. Um, I brought a friend. I, I, I brought a friend with me, and I, I watched it six times in theaters. And, Holy um, fuck! Yeah, <laughs> watched it six wow. times in theaters, and. I, I was amazed. And then I heard that you were going to be releasing a director's cut. And I was like, I usually kind of mind them off. I was like, all right, a director's cut. All right, that's cool. That's, that's, that's neat. And then I heard it was 30 minutes extra content. I was like, wait, what the, hold the fuck up. <laughs> wait a second. There's more. So when I got my hands on that director's cup, I bought it fucking everywhere, by the way. I have the Blu-ray. I have the DVD as well. I have the um, the Apple TV copy. I have the copy that is on um, Amazon as well. So I bought this thing so many times. And uh, I've watched the director's cut close to 40 times. Holy shit, man. <laughs> and we covered wow. it on, on the show <laughs> as a two-parter on the show and uh you know that that whole movie to me is and i don't know if you ever will think this but to me that movie is perfect like that is the only film that i have seen in that right and this point in time 2019 to now is a perfect film in my eyes and like i personally think <laughs> that that I, I tell everyone about it and every single time, even I'm, I'm a facilitator. I train people as my day job. And, um, when I train people, my background is uh, Rose, um, standing in front of the overlook as it's burning. And I also have another screen where it's Danny writing in the halls of the overlook. So, <clears throat> which in my eyes, I always have pictured them being in their own minds. But, uh, with that, like one of my students was just like, wait, is that, is that Dr. Sleep? And I'm like, yes, yes, it is Dr. Sleep. And we talked about <laughs> Dr. Sleep in my class for at least 30 minutes. And it's, it's something about that movie to me 
that you have done something that I thought was impossible to put on screen is making something from Kubrick's mind and King's mind in your mind. And then you put it together and you made Dr. Sleep. And to me, that was the most magical viewing experience of my entire life. So thank you. Wow. Dude, thank you. You're, you are without a doubt the most passionate Dr. Sleep fan I've ever met. Um, <laughs> because I look, I, I, I'm so grateful for that. First of all, um, I'm so grateful that you, you, you experienced it theatrically that many times because it was, yeah. I, I saw it a couple of times opening weekend too. And the theater was mostly empty, which was sad, but I, I, yeah, bummed me out. I loved seeing it on the big screen. And, and that's the last time I've ever had a movie in a, in a theater. Right. Um, and I, I hope to get back there, but, um, but I'll never get back there that way again. And it's like, that movie's a big part of me. This is my, my mouse pad I'm editing with right now. Oh. You know, the, um, the, which is the overlook uh, carpet. And I don't know if the video is part of this. It, yeah. If, if no, the, video, the video's it, yeah. not part of it, but yeah, it's the carpet. Overlook carpet. Um, <laughs> so amazing. But, you know, I, I had such a joy making that. And, and I was so scared of that movie. I, I yeah. was so intimidated by the movie at every turn. Um, I had some of the best times I've ever had on set uh, working on that. I've never felt the magic I felt uh, like I did the first time I walked in um, to the Overlook and yeah. walked through the Colorado Lounge and, and the Gold Room. And we had a we had a adult size trike that the, the grips built that we could all take oh, turns riding awesome. through. I felt Holy like a crap. kid. It was like it was like walking through your memories. You know, it was such yeah. a such a neat thing. Um, I was I was heartbroken by by the performance of the movie um i i was i was pretty devastated and and you know stephen king called me uh the week after it came out and and said you know this doesn't matter you know and he's like you know i was there when the shining bombed uh i was there when shawshank bombed i i was there you know systematically as these great movies didn't find their audience right away, but he's like, but you'll be surprised because people will find it and they will fall in love with it. And, yeah. you know, it, it'll be on its own pace and, you know, stories like yours bear that out right. um, and make me feel really grateful. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll always be really sad. We didn't get to do, I'd wanted to do an Abra sequel i'd wanted um, to do a, a halloran prequel so you know yeah i there was stuff i i was dying to do that you know they the box office made it impossible right um, to do maybe there'll be another chance down the line but um but i'm really grateful for that and i you know on house of usher i had um you know um i have uh i have uh kylie Curran, i have uh yes. Uh, oh, Henry Thomas that. is there, you know, uh, Carl Lumley who played Dick Halloran for me and oh, Dr. Sleep is man. in the show. Um, and we all, when, when Kylie got there, you know, we all kind of sat down for a few minutes just to kind of reminisce a little bit about that movie and, and that experience. Cause it was, it was a special one, but I'm, I'm really glad. I'm very that excited to see her on screen you. again. 
Of course. Yeah, she's awesome. She's so cool. And I had told uh, Carl Lumley, the last scene that we filmed was the scene where he uh, visits Dan um, in the, in the hospice. Right. And uh, then kind of disappears from the film. Mm -hmm. And that was the last thing I filmed with Carl. And um, I walked him out after his last take, I walked him off set and, and I said, we're working together again. It's going to, it might take me a minute <laughs> to find the perfect thing, but it's, right. it's going to be substantial and it's going to be great. And he was like, well, people say that in this business. And if that doesn't come to be, I understand. And he walked out. And I, when I got to call him for House of Usher, uh, he, was, he had a big part. Um, I called him and I said, I have something great for you. You're going to, you know, we have to have you back. And um, yeah, it was just really special. It was, it was, it was great to kind of all get back together. You know, the only we missed Ewan and we missed Rebecca, but um, they're they're yeah. busy, <laughs> so fair. they're very busy. Super fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Wow. You know, Mike, thank you so much. I I want to be mindful of your time, but thank you so much, and I I very much appreciate you just hanging out and just chatting about your filmography a little bit with me. And uh, you know, I would love to have you back on the show again sometime. Um, so. By all means, I'm sure we've probably set something yeah, up in the, uh, we'll in do the future it. for sure. Well, there'll Absolutely. be there'll be plenty of opportunities. So of but course, it, it's of been course. a total pleasure. Oh man, thank you so much. Um, if you would like to, where where can people find you on social media to follow your updates? Yeah, I, I, I'm. All my updates are pretty much on Twitter um, at Flanagan Film. Uh, I do every now and then. I, I don't know how to use anything else. So I, I'll put up a picture on Instagram randomly, but I, I just don't maintain it properly. So uh, you can find me there. It's also Flanagan Film um, on Instagram. I just suck at Instagram, but I, uh, you know, I try to, <laughs> I try to engage on Twitter as much as I can, and I, I try to make sure that I use it for all of all of the of, of the updates professionally. So that's that's the best place to to see stuff first. Absolutely. Amazing. Well, thank you again, Mike. Uh, Very much appreciate you coming out tonight. Seriously. Thank you again. But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. With your help, we can reach more ghoulish nights with your recommendation to someone who would actually enjoy the show. If your podcast app allows you to rate our show, consider giving us five stars as it honestly does help us out a ton. For extra horror-related content, head over to patreon.com slash nightlightpod. That's Night with a K. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.